Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our In the World, Not of It series, which walks through the book of 1 Corinthians, showing how we are citizens of a better country. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, this morning we come back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and uh, we've been studying out this, uh, this incredible letter, of course, from Paul, uh, written to the believers at Corinth. We know about Corinth. We know some things uh, regarding the city of Corinth. Of course, if you've been here, then you know that uh, Corinth was definitely an incredible city uh, for its day. It was known as a, a ruin to riches type of a city. It was known as a city of opportunity, known as a city uh, that was worth visiting. It was known as a major city of, of commerce and a major city of trade. It was known of a, a city of wealth and a city of growth. But we've also discovered that Corinth was known as a very corrupt city. It was a very vile city. It was a place where immorality and prostitution were just open and in your face. Drunkenness and sinfulness just flowed through its streets. One man wrote about Corinth that it was, it was a morally bankrupt city. No morals. But God brought a man into that town. And Acts chapter 18 tells us about Paul in Corinth starting a church and being there for 18 months. And he would spend 18 months establishing a church reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and teaching them and discipling them. And after 18 months, God, uh, Paul would leave and, and a, a great church would be going there. But after being gone for just a few years, a few short years, Paul received word that the, that the believers at Corinth, that they, uh, they were living below their privileges as followers of God. And I'll, we've said it this way, that they were living more like the culture around them rather than the Jesus Christ that was within them. These believers at Corinth, they, although they were followers of Jesus, they were still pursuing the goals of, of the culture, the Corinthian culture, and they were still seeking the wisdom of the world. They weren't really growing in their faith like they should have been. They weren't viewing sin as sin. Instead, they were kind of viewing sin as something that was just really not that bad. These believers at Corinth, they weren't viewing their Christianity as something that was special. They weren't viewing it as something that others needed. They were simply looking at salvation as a ticket out of hell. And so what did Paul do? He wrote to them. He wrote to them a letter. We don't, have a, we don't have a copy of the very first letter that he actually wrote to them, but he wrote to them a letter really describing to them where they should be. And, and that letter wasn't well received. And Paul hears that things are still going downhill. And so uh, a short while later, he writes a second letter, which is this letter that we read, 1 Corinthians. And he writes to them to help them understand, hey, when you trust Christ as your Savior, as your Savior, uh, God has a new purpose in your life. And he gives you uh, the strength and the ability to live for him each and every day, even in a, a corrupt culture. And God has new plans for you, and he wants to use you to impact the world around you. But Paul writes to them, but you believers at Corinth, you're, you're not living as spiritual men, those who have Jesus not only as their Savior, but as their Lord of, the Lord of their life as well. No, you're, you're living as carnal men. Oh, you're saved. Oh, you, you know Christ is your Savior. Oh, you know heaven is where you'll spend eternity, but you're not, you're not following Jesus every day. You're not pursuing him in your life. And so Paul writes to them, hey, you're not growing in your faith, and you need to understand that God has more for you. God's got more for you. Stop living like Corinth and pursuing the same goals as Corinth and stop seeking the wisdom of Corinth and instead start seeking God. And that's the, that's the letter that Paul writes to them. So far, we've made it into chapter number three. Last week, we were in those first four verses of chapter three where Paul called out their carnality. He asked them that question. Remember last week, we started by asking, do you ever have questions that you get asked that you don't wanna answer? Like, what did you do? I had that asked to me plenty of times growing up. 
and I didn't want to answer it. They were asked the question, are you not yet carnal? Hey, are you not yet carnal? You're saved, but you're not, you're not living like it. Well, this morning we pick up right after that, following the conversation or the verses that Paul would give, verse one through four. We're gonna begin in verse number five. And so take your Bible, if you will, 1 Corinthians chapter three, and let's stand together. And just for the reading of the word, we're just gonna read a few verses, gonna finish out the entire chapter, but just wanna get through a few verses as we start this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter three. Paul continues writing to these believers and he writes these words. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted a, Apollos. He watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but, but God, God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth, they're one. But every man and every, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For because, verse 9, we are laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry. You're God's garden. You're God's farm. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But, notice that last verse, uh, verse number 10, but let every man, let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. As we read these verses before we pray, I want us just to remember very quickly the context of where we're at. The believers at Corinth, they were a very proud group of people. They were a very accomplished group of people. The believers at Corinth, if, if we as a, as a church were to look at the believers at Corinth from the, from the outside, we would say, wow, gifted, talented, wealthy, good things going on. They've got a lot happening. Wow, the church at Corinth, that is the place to be. But they were filled with pride. One of the reasons we know they were filled with pride, remember those of you that were here just a few weeks ago, remember when Paul said, why are you arguing and striving and contending over, over association? Remember chapter one, they were saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, why I'm of Cephas, well I, and they were fighting and bickering. They were doing that because they were so proud, they wanted higher status, and that was the Corinthian culture. If you could claim a better teacher, then, then you could be known as the, the better student, the better person, and what had happened was they had adopted that philosophy and they had brought it into the church. And in these verses, what Paul does is he corrects them about their pride, and then he wants to help them understand and help us understand who we really are as believers in association with other believers. Paul gives three illustrations of who we really are. We are ministers. We are uh, um, ministers. What's the second one? My mind's blank. We are farmers or gardeners, and we are builders. He does all of that to simply say, hey, you and I aren't anything big. God is the big one. What Paul does in these verses is he wants to help remind the believers not only who they were, but what they had in Christ. But I want you to notice the key verse in all of this is the last part of verse number 10, where Paul writes this. But... Let every man, let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. We're going to take that phrase. We're going to use it because it, it, the entire chapter is centered around that phrase. Let's pray and let's ask God to help us today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take just a minute and give God permission to speak to you? Ask God to help you this morning, to hear from him. And then why don't you make a commitment? God, as you speak to me, I'm listening and I'll respond to you. Dear Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. 
I pray, God, that as we get into our study this morning, I pray that you'd help us. I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit. God, I need you today. I want you to speak to me and challenge me. And Lord, I pray that as we go through your message today, that you'd help us to receive it. God, if there's someone here that doesn't know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, they don't know that their sins are forgiven, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and their trust completely in you. I love you, Lord. Thank you for loving me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. Have you ever tried to uh, complete something with your eyes closed? Uh, Maybe you uh, are uh, uh, someone who likes to draw. You ever tried to draw something with your eyes closed? We've done our Christmas party here, you know, at the church, and every now and then one of the games that we've done is trying to draw a snowman on a piece of paper with your eyes closed, with the, with the buttons and the nose and all that, but do it all with your, with your eyes closed. I know I've done it smart aleckly uh, with my kids playing, playing a sport, playing basketball. I'll be on the basketball court and, and say, hey, watch this, and close my eyes and shoot the ball. And I make it every time. <clears throat> okay, I don't. I'm kidding. Uh, you know what? When you try to do something with your eyes closed, it's almost like doing something in the complete pitch black dark. You ever try to complete things in the dark? Like maybe, maybe you like to work on your car or your yard or, or your house or something like that. You ever tried to complete it in the dark? I remember growing up trying to, well, at college, I remember at college trying to complete homework in the dark because at our college, they kind of had a time in the dorms, lights had to be out at a certain time and, and man, you, you wake up at two o'clock in the morning realizing that you have a major report due at your 7.30 class but if you turn on lights, you know, you might get, might get in trouble. So what do you do? You just figure out how to do your homework in the dark. Needless to say, I never got an A on those papers. <laughs> Needless to say, I didn't get an A on very many papers, but uh, those especially. But you know what? Uh, <clears throat> I'm not very good at doing things in the dark. I actually, I'm not very good at even walking in the dark. And I'm not exaggerating. Hannah, she's not here today. She's up at her dad's. Their, their church is celebrating their 25th anniversary today. So we praise the Lord for that. Pastor Perkins, Liberty Baptist Church. But uh, I bump things all the time in the night. If I get up to, to use the restroom or I get up to do anything, I'm, I, I'm bumping everything all over the house. And there's been times, unfortunately, there's been times where I've bumped something, knocked it all the way over, and I've woke Hannah up, and, and now many of you know we've had the, the three extra kids, and Asher sleeps in the room right next door to us, and I woke him up, and man, I bump all over the place. It's so bad that Hannah said this to me just a few days ago. She said, honey, what's going to happen when you actually turn old? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. If she's here, she would be shaking her head. She said, what's going to happen when you turn old? I was like, what are you talking about? She was like, you literally bump every, I think you literally hit everything in our room when you get up at night. What's going to happen when you actually lose your balance? I was like, I don't know. I'll install like padded walls or something. I don't know. Just put me in a straitjacket somewhere. I don't know. Man, I am not good at doing something in the dark. Do you know what you need to do if you're trying, listen, if you're trying to do something in the dark or you're trying to do something with your eyes closed, you know what you need to do? Just open your eyes. Just turn a light on. Man, too often, too often in life, a lot of Christians go through life with their eyes closed. And I'm not talking physically, I'm talking spiritually. Oh, they're saved and they know the Lord, but they're not comprehending. They're not going deep in the things of the Lord. They're not growing as a believer like Paul talked about last week. And this week, Paul uses the terminology of, hey, open your eyes. Hey, believers at Corinth, open your eyes. Where do we see this? Well, look with me at that last part of verse number 10, that uh, first chapter three, verse 10, part B, where it says, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. The phrasing here, the, the wording, but let, it's derived from a Greek word that is the word optonomahi, optonomahi. All right, now if you said it fast, optonomahi, you might think of an English word. 
The English word that you might think of would be optometrist. What does an optometrist do? They work with your sight. The word here, it means to perceive or to literally to open the eyes. Optanamahi, to open the eyes. The next few words, take heed, it means to be aware of. So open your eyes and be aware of how or in what way you're building. Okay, well, what is, what's Paul saying? How does all of this connect? And stay with me this morning. We're going to bounce around a little bit and tie it all together, and I think it'll be a huge help to us. But here's what Paul is saying in this, this, this simple verse, as he, again, is talking about, <coughs> excuse me, he's talking about the church, and he's talking about their carnality. Hey, you've been proud. Hey, you have been going through things your way. But I want to encourage you, open your eyes and be aware of the ways that you are building. Well, building what? Well, what Paul's going to talk about through this entire chapter is talk about building the church. He's going to be talking about building up other believers. He's not talking about an actual building. He's talking about people. Now, if you look at what Paul is saying, he's encouraging them to open their eyes. Why? Because spiritually, they've been arguing over their association. They've been seeing their lives through the way culture looks at it. They've been living in pride. And he says to them, hey, you're viewing life and Christianity through the perspective of this world. You're looking at church and Christians and other believers through culture around you. You're arguing to prove who is better, but you don't understand who you really are in Christ. You're saying, hey, I'm a better Christian because I knew Paul. Well, I'm a better Christian because I knew Apollos. Well, I'm a better Christian because I've known Jesus longer. Well, I'm a better Christian because I, and Paul is saying, hey, all you are doing is you're remaining blind to who you really are and to what you really have. Let's look at this, let's look at, look at this, this morning. First of all, I want, I want us to understand who we really are. Who are we in connection with other believers? What, what, what are we in connection with other believers? Paul says this, first of all today, he says, I want you to open your eyes that we are waiters. We are waiters or table servers. Notice verse number, <clears throat> verse number five. Paul says this, he says, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? He's not talking about like, who are we? Who am I in identity? He's talking of not as who am I as a person, but who am I in position? What is my position in Christ? What is Apollos's position in Christ? What is your position in Christ and my position in Christ? He says this, who are we? We are the word ministers. That word minister, it means an attendant or a waiter or a table server. He says, we're simply a table server by whom you believed. We are simply the one who carried the tray from the kitchen to the table. You think about what a waiter does. All of us have been to restaurants. A waiter, they simply do that. They wait on tables. A waiter or a waitress, they serve tables. Most of the time, the waiter or waitress, they don't make the food. Most of the time, the waiter or waitress, they're not responsible for a lot of the behind the scenes. They simply bring what, whatever was ordered. They, they bring it from the kitchen all the way to the table. They bring the food. They bring the refills, the napkins, the extra silverware, the, the refill on fries, the refill on your drink. They bring you your, your ketchup or your barbecue sauce or your horseradish sauce or your honey mustard, that's what I like. What do they do? They just bring it to the table. They serve. You know, Paul is saying in these verses, hey, there's nothing special about us. No, we're simply table waiters by whom you believed. Hey, we didn't come up with the gospel. Remember, they were arguing with their identity. They were saying, well, I associate with Paul because Paul was a better leader. Well, I associate with Apollos because Apollos was a better preacher. And Paul says, hey, we are just simply waiters. We didn't die on the cross. I didn't raise from the dead. I don't have, I'm not the one who has the power to save your life or to change your life. I simply served you the message that God had prepared. 
We are the tool that God uses. See, God did all the prep work. God made the meal. God had the plan. God did it all, but we are simply ministers, servants, table waiters. And he uses that phrase, even as the Lord gave to every man, simply means God placed us in the right spot to deliver to you what he had given to us. What's Paul saying in verse number five? Verse number five, Paul is saying this, while the culture around you argues and struggles for status, remember that you, the follower of God, you're a table waiter. We are servants who deliver the goods of God to the world. And you know what's interesting about table waiters? No waiter is more important than the other. They're all just table waiters. If we're not careful, we begin to think that we're better than others around us. And in Christianity, we can begin to think that one avenue of serving the Lord is better than another. But the truth is, we're all just table waiters. Many of you, you're table waiters. Oh, I'm not talking in profession. I'm talking in Christianity. Just simply serve. Many of you serve as, as greeters and serve in the cleaning ministry and serve in, in a clubhouse kids ministry or in the nurseries or in the preschool or you serve with the teens or you serve in the music or you serve uh, with, with picking people up. There's many of us, we serve in various ways, but you know what we are? We're all just table waiters. No one's more important than the other. Well, well, Brian's really important because he leads the singing. He's not more important than the person that does the cleaning. Well, pastor, you're really important because you get up there and do the preaching. No, within the church, I'm not more important than anybody else that does the greeting. You know what we are? We're table waiters. I said it a few weeks ago. The ground is level at the cross. We're table waiters. Think about waiters. Some ask for the order. Some ask for the order. What will you have? Others bring the food out. Then you have those who bust tables. All servers, they're accomplishing the task of the owner, waiting on the customers. And you and I, as table waiters, we are accomplishing the task of the owner. Let me give you a very quick thought today, though, that our perspective, to realize this, our perspective of a waiter has nothing, often has nothing to do with what they can control. Right? If there's good food, there's a good tip. If the food wasn't cooked right, take my steak back. Can't you get this right? Well, they didn't cook the food. Did you know that people's perspective of God is often affected upon those, or by, it should say, by those serving tables for God? What do you mean, Pastor? People's perspective about you People's perspective about God is dependent upon you. And here's what Paul is trying to help them understand. We are waiters just serving the owner. But you know what Christians can do sometimes, especially in church? We can get uh, up on our high horse. We begin to think that, that we're better than others. Begin to think that we're better than other believers. Begin to think that our job is more important, that what I do is better, that my area of ministry is, is more important. And if we're not careful, a world, a culture looking in is gonna see a church that looks just like the culture rather than a church that looks just like the Christ. And so why is Paul doing this? Because the, Corinth, the, the people of Corinth were looking into the church at Corinth and saying, well, they argue. And they bicker, and they're, they're in it for status, and they're, they're trying to, to prove how good they are and how bad somebody else is. They, they, they've, they've got the same issues I've got. And here's what Paul is writing to them and saying, hey, open your eyes and realize we're just waiters. We're just table servants. What else are we? Well, we're not only waiters, but we also, we're gardeners. We're gardeners or, or farmers, I love this. Look with me at verse number six. The verses won't be on the screen, just there in the Bible. Verse number six, it says this. It says, I have planted, and Apollos, he, he watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God giveth the increase. 
Now he that planteth and he that watereth, they're one. They're unified. They've got the same, same, same thing going on. And every man according, or every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For because we are laborers together with God, you are God's husbandry, you are God's building. In these verses, Paul uses an illustration of a farmer or a gardener. Notice the word husbandry. That word husbandry means garden or farm. You are God's garden. You are God's farm. And then he says these words. Uh, before that, he says, I have planted and, and Apollos, he, he watered. Well, what was Paul? Paul was the church planter. Paul was the one who went in, he, he tilled the ground of Corinth, and he planted seeds in Corinth, and he told people about Christ in Corinth, and some people got saved, but then Apollos, the great preacher, came in, and he was a major influence in the believers of Corinth. We learned a few weeks ago that he was a, a great speaker. He came into that church, and he taught the people uh, many truths from the word of God. So Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God did the real work. Everyone has a, a different task from the Lord with the purpose of bringing him honor and glory. Do you see what Paul says in verse number uh, seven? Neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Do you know why plants, let's come back to the physical world. Do you know why plants actually grow? Plants grow because of things that you and I cannot do. We don't run the process of photosynthesis. We cannot create things. We cannot create life. We can't facilitate things. What can we do? Or excuse me, we just facilitate things. Well, what do we do? We just put seeds in the ground. We just put water on that ground. We pick, we harvest, but we don't make things grow. No, the emphasis right here is upon what God does. One man said it this way. He said, all we are on a farm without God is hole diggers and mud makers. All we are without God's touch is hole diggers and mud makers. You know what he says in verse number eight? He says, we are one. Well, what do you mean we are one? We're the same. We're on the same level. He's, he's getting, listen, Paul is getting the same message across with three different illustrations. Hey, you're not a, diff, you're not a higher waiter in, in hierarchy spiritually than somebody else. No, 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 you're a table waiter. I'm a table waiter. Hey, you're not more important in the process of the church growth. No, no, no. One waters, one plants, but it's God that does the heart work, and he is emphasizing what God does. He's saying to these believers, hey, you're arguing over status and association based upon what you think is important in one service to God. You have it all wrong. No, open your eyes and see that it is God that does the heart work. We are just farmers. We are just gardeners. It's not about your section. It's not about your gift. It's not about your emphasis. It's not about your cause. It's about his cause. It's about his purpose. You know, he's saying, I'm dependent upon Apollos and Apollos is dependent upon me. Think about that with plants. The waterer needs the planter and the planter needs the waterer. Both need the reaper. <laughs> In the spiritual life, every believer needs other believers, but we both need God. We both need God. I'm not talking about the Grim Reaper right here. Some of you all just kind of went down that road. No, we, we need God. It takes different jobs to accomplish different purposes. I like sports. Of course, I played basketball and football all growing up, and Baseball in third grade. That's my only time of baseball. But I remember playing football, and you know what I learned in football and basketball is different positions. And every position is important, but every position has its own task. I coach basketball and, and have coached it for a long time. And <clears throat> excuse me, when we have opportunity to coach a team, you know what I teach them? I teach them what a guard is. You have a shooting guard. 
You have a, you have a ball handling guard. Teach him what the center is and what the power forward does and what the big forward does or the strong forward and the weak forward, whatever terminology you come up with. There are different positions, but they all have the same goal. Win the game. But you know what? Often the ball handler, that, that ball guard bringing the ball down, usually, usually he's a good shot, but he's not as good as the shooting guard. He's not as good as the kid that can drain a, drain a shot from anywhere on the court. Your, your power forward is, is usually not as tough under the, under the basket to get, to get the rebounds. Uh, like as, or excuse me, your power forward is usually more tough and easier to get the rebounds than your weak forward. Your center is usually the, the tallest one that's going to be the best at, at defending, the, defending the lane and not letting people within five or six feet of that hoop make them, make them fight for a shot. They're all different positions, same purpose. That's what Paul's getting across right here. Hey, we're simply gardeners. There's different positions, same purpose. So Paul says to them, what are your grounds for arguing? Why are you arguing over who's better? One plants, one waters, but God does the work. You really don't do it. Who are we? Well, we're waiters. Who are we? Well, we're farmers. Who are we? Well, we're builders. We are builders. Verse 10, all the way down through verse number, verse number 23, Paul gives this illustration and then ties everything together. Notice these verses with me, if you will. Verse 10 and 11. Paul says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a, a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In these verses, Paul uses the illustration of a, a builder or a project manager. Every construction site needs a general contractor. Every construction site needs a, an architect. Every construction site, it needs the, uh, the laborers that are building the house. And here's what Paul says when he says, I am the wise master builder. It's like he's saying, I'm the general contractor. God gave me the plans. God gave me the, ar the architect, gave me the direction, and I just delivered it. And then he says this, that we're all builders. Well, how does he say that? Because he says, let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. Paul says, I have built the foundation, which is Jesus Christ, and now you and I, believers at Corinth, he's saying, now we get to build on that foundation. Well, what are we building? We're building people. We're building lives. We're building a church that honors and glorifies him. Some are called to build the foundation. Others are called to build the walls. Others are called to run the electrical. Others are called to run the piping. Others are called to do the roof. Others are called to do the sheetrock and painting. Same house, same building, different tasks, but we're all builders. From verse 12 down through verse number 15, Paul says this. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire." Verse 10, all the way through verse number 15, they all just flow together. And I, I, because of time, we don't have time to dig into everything, but I just want us to catch a synopsis of what Paul is saying. <clears throat> we need to understand this today, that every single believer, every single believer that's a part of the local church is involved in helping build the church. Every child of God who's saved is involved in building the family of God, bringing people into Christ. And then the church is bringing people into the local assembly. But what is the church? Well, the church isn't these walls and this building. No, the church is the people. 
The church is the people of that church. And so Paul, he writes, hey, you need to open your eyes, take heed as to how you're helping to build within the church. You can build using gold and silver and precious stones. Now, the precious stones he's talking about, it's not, the, it's not the precious stones that we would think of, of jewels and things like that. No, it would be like granite, marble. Paul would be, Paul would be using an illustration that they would very much know. You go, to, you go to Israel to this day. Many of you have been to Israel with us. You go to Israel, you know what most of Israel, the old, old city and stuff is made of? It's made of incredibly large, precious stones. I mean, it's huge. It's massive. I can take you to stairwells that are literally all, all, all granite stairwells. I can, we can go, and if, if you go with us one of these years, we can go to, uh, to stairs that date all the way back to Solomon. Stairs that, were, that, that Solomon had built. We can go to that place. Thousands of years they've lasted. Why have they lasted? It's a sturdy stone. So what is Paul referring to by when he's referring to building with gold, silver, and precious stones? He's referring to building with things that last. Building with things that are, 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 are uh, of consequence, that are not inconsequential, but building with things that are substantive. Building with things that, that will last the test of time. Or you could build with wood, hay, and stubble. Now, wood, hay, and stubble, they're not necessarily bad things, Wood, hay, and stubble are things that they would build with. As a matter of fact, when Paul was in Corinth, he probably had a little shop. Remember, he was a tent maker with Aquila and Priscilla in Corinth. They probably had a shop on Main Street that was made up of wood, hay, and stubble. Just wood walls, a little bit of a wood roof, and then you use the hay and stubble to fill in everything, put the hay on top of that roof to help maybe protect from some, some weathering and all of that type of stuff. But it's a building that would be... Um, for a phase. It's a building that wouldn't be lasting. It's a building that would be for a season. Here's what Paul is saying. In the Christian life, you and I, we are either using our life to invest in things that matter, or we are using our life to invest in things that'll just pass away. So take heed. Let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. Hey, be mindful that while you are a builder, you have an opportunity to be a builder with God and invest in things that do matter. Does that make sense this morning? So we're all table waiters. We're, we're all farmers. We're all builders. Now look with me very quickly at verse 16 down through verse number 23. Verse 16 says this. It says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, in this particular passage, Paul is writing about the church. Hey, you as the church, you are the temple of God. Later, Paul, in chapter 6, he'll write that you as a believer are the temple of God. But here's what Paul is getting at in these verses, and I hope it'll make sense this morning. I know I'm flying through it. But when he says you're the temple of God and whose spirit, the spirit of God dwelleth in you, he's trying, to bring, he's trying to bring to them the knowledge, hey, you are building something that is more than just a building that's going to last for a few decades. No, no, no. You are building something that is of eternal importance. You are. You are the church of God. You are the temple of God. And God meets with you. There's something special about being at church. That's why I think it's good to be at church. Well, you're supposed to say that. You're the pastor. Okay, I'm fine with that. I'll say it as a pastor. I'll say it as a Christian. I'll say it as a child of God myself. It is good for me to be at church. I need fellowship. Why? Because I need believers, and I need the singing, and I need the time of worship, and I need the preaching. Even when I'm preaching, God's speaking to my heart and, and correcting me and helping me. And when I sit under the preaching, I need all of it. But you know what I need most, and you know what we pray for most? God, meet with us. Because if we come and just go through a bunch of rigmarole and a bunch of uh, 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 duty things, if we do that but we don't meet with God, it's all in vain. Here's what Paul is trying to get across. Hey, you're building something, but recognize that this is not just another building. 
You're not building just a, 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 a something with, that, with framing. You're not building a physical building. No, you're building a spiritual building. As a matter of fact, you are where God wants to meet. This passage here, it literally means they would, they would look at the Holy of Holies saying, hey, you as the church, you are where God wants to meet. He wants to meet with you just like he did that priest in the Holy of Holies. He wants his presence to literally be completely all over the meeting of his people. Hey, you belong to God. Okay, well, how does he continue? Verse 17. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. This verse number 17 is, is a pretty harsh verse. Don't defile the temple. Hey, don't profane the temple. Hey, don't, don't cause the, the dwelling place of God. Don't, don't cause it to be something that it, God never intended it to be. It says God will destroy you. That phrase, God will destroy you, just simply means God will deal with you. Okay, are you still with me this morning? Let's remember context. Let's remember context. Context matters. Say it with me. Context matters. Say it again. Man, you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say when you take it out of context. So we got to put things back in context. What is going on? Believers at Corinth were proud. They were arguing and bickering. We're better because of Paul. We're better than Apollos. We're all on the same page with that. They were arguing. They were not level on the same playing field. They were thinking, I'm better than you. And this guy was saying, well, I'm better than you. And every, they were just having that factionalism within the church. Paul says, hey, open your eyes. We're table waiters. We're gardeners. We're builders. And when you have that attitude, you're just defiling the temple of God. You are affecting the work of God when you're divisive. You're affecting the work of God when you're living in pride. And God's going to deal with it. That's, a hard, that's hard terminology, isn't it? Man, God's going to deal. He's going he's to destroy. He's going to deal with it. Notice verse 18. Let no man, notice this, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Why? Because the wisdom of this world, it's foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. Paul quotes from Job 5.13 and Psalm 94.11 in these verses by simply saying, hey, stop deceiving yourself. Stop lying to yourself. You are, you are bringing culture into the church. You're bringing the world's wisdom into the church. You're trying to have higher status and argue over all of these things. Hey, quit lying to yourself. Open your eyes. Because the wisdom of this world, it's, it's foolishness to God. Hey, quit thinking like the culture around you. Quit pursuing the, the dreams of the culture that you live in. Instead, pursue the Christ that, that you should be living for. The world thinks on its own wisdom. Don't bring that into the church. But then notice these last three verses and we'll be done. Therefore, therefore, let no man glory in men for all things... All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours and ye are Christ's and Christ is God's. Now, pastor, what does that mean? How does that play into context? I'll just read you some thoughts. <clears throat> Let no man glory in men. Since we are the Lord's, we don't glorify in association with men. Be done with your fighting with association. You, get, you got Paul, the church planner, but you also got Apollos. You also got Cephas. Hey, you are overly blessed. But by dividing and just hunkering down with your group, you are robbing yourself of the blessing that is the church. Because God, literally, he gave you everything. 
God gave you Paul. God gave you Apollos. God gave you Cephas. God gave you every other church leader. One man said it this way. He said, all teachers are yours. Whether it's Paul with his amazing preaching of the gospel and his burning zeal for God, or whether it's Apollos with his knowledge of the Old Testament and his eloquence, or whether it's lovable, warm-hearted human Peter with the bright memories of the life of Jesus on earth, they're all yours. Don't separate. They all belong to you. Don't be poor. Don't restrict yourself to one. What's Paul getting at with all of this? He's saying, hey, in Jesus, you literally have access to everything you need. He's given you the world. He gave you his son, and in his son are all things. You have life, a new life to live for. You have death. Listen, even death for the Christian is something to look forward to. Even, listen, I'm going to say it again. Even death for the believer is something to look forward to. Why? Because I have Christ. Because I have Jesus. I'll share this on Wednesday at Mel's service, but sitting at his bedside on, on last, a uh, week ago, third, or yeah, a week ago, this last Thursday there in Wenatchee, Mel said, Pastor, I'm not scared of dying because I know where I'm going because I know I have Christ in my life. I've said at other bedsides where people are literally panicking about what is, what is next because they don't have Christ. Hey, for the Christian, death is a welcomed moment. I have a pastor friend that says something along these lines that for the Christian, death is simply when heaven's op heaven opens the door and says, welcome home. That's what death is for us. What's Paul getting at? He's like, you're missing it. You're arguing. You're divisive. You're proud. You're bickering. You're factionalized. Listen, you're looking at everything through culture's lens. Stop it. Open your eyes and realize what you have in Jesus. What do I have in Jesus? Remember, he's talking to the church. You've got great teachers. You've got a great fellow believers. You've got encouragement. You've got blessings. You've got challenge and correction. You've got everything. He's given you the world. Everything is yours. You belong to Christ and Jesus belongs to God. So quit acting like Corinthians. Quit striving and, and climbing in status and being petty and envious and jealous and, and quit comparing. Hey, open your eyes. At Christmas time or whenever you do someone's birthday, do you ever do the thing where you tell them, all right, close your eyes. I got something. Close your eyes. Hold out your hands. Close your eyes. How many of you do that? You do that. Let's be honest this morning. All right, I'm the only one. I, I understand that. Now, there's a few hands. Okay. You know what I do all the time with our kids? All the time. Even if it's a cheesy surprise. I learned from my dad because my dad would give you clothespins as a surprise. <laughs> I'm not lying, am I? He, he would do it. But you know what? You know what I'll do with our kids? All right, all right, son. Come here. I got, I got a surprise for you. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Hold out your hands. Hold out your hands. And usually you're nervous, right? I don't want to hold out my hands, man. What are you going to put in there, you know? And finally, you get them close their eyes. Put that package or that gift or whatever right there. And then you say, okay, open your eyes. Okay, open your eyes. Why do you say that? Because you want them to see what they have. You want them to see what they're holding. I'm done with this illustration. You know what I picture Paul doing here? I picture Paul helping the believer understand when you go through life, when you've received Christ, you've received a gift. And then there's so much wrapped up in your salvation. <laughs> salvation truly is more than any of us could ever imagine. But many Christians, they go through their Christian life like this. They have salvation. I know I'm saved. I'm just kind of, I'm just trying to make my best. I'm trying to do the best. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, and it all falls back on us. You know, Paul does here. He says, hey, hey, open your eyes. Look at what you are and look at what you have. If you know Christ as your savior, you know what you are? You're a servant of God. You're a table waiter for God. Oh, that's not, a low, that's not a low position. No, 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 no. You get to serve the king of kings. 
Hey, you're a gardener with God. Don't miss verse nine. We are laborers together with God. I'm a servant for him. I'm a laborer with him. And I'm a builder in him. I get to help build people. And I get to help build in the lives of people things that will matter. Eternal things. Oh, we're not just building a country club. We're not just building a a camp that meets. We're not just building a social entertainment. No, we're building something that is going to last for eternity because it has to do with the souls of people. So who are we? We're waiters. We're farmers. We're builders. What do we have? Paul said, you have each other. Hey, you have, you have each other. You've got, a, you, you've got Paul and Apollos and Cephas. All things are yours. Quit walking through the Christian life with your eyes closed. Open your eyes up and see who you are, an incredible servant of God, laboring with God, who God wants to use to build something for God. Open your eyes up and see what you have. Don't be an island under yourself in Christian life. Hey, come to church and enjoy it. Come to church and enjoy people. Well, I don't like people. It's okay. It's okay. Enjoy other believers here at church. Why? Because what we have is amazing. That's what what Paul's getting at in this whole passage. Hey, quit bickering, quit factionalizing, quit arguing over it, and open your eyes. Maybe you're here this morning, though, and you need to open your eyes to receive Christ as your Savior. Maybe you're here today, and you don't know if heaven is where you'd spend eternity. I want to ask every person to think about this one question. Are you 100% sure if you died today that you'd go to heaven? Are you 100% sure? Say, well, Pastor Dennis, I'm a good person. Being a good person won't get you to heaven. Well, Pastor Dennis, I've gone to church. Going to church won't get you to heaven. I've been baptized. Being baptized won't get you to heaven. You know, the only thing that gets you to heaven is having a time in your life when you put your faith and your trust completely in him. And maybe today you need to open your eyes and ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and be your savior. You see, he died on a cross to show you that he loved you and he was crucified, buried, and rose again. And he did all of that to show you that he is the son of God, that he can be trusted, and that he is the only one who can offer you salvation. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior today, I want to invite you to open your eyes and trust him as Savior. If you are here and you know Christ as Savior, hey, quit walking through life like the culture around you. Remember who you are. I get to be a servant of God, a laborer together with God, building something for God. And remember what you have. I have other believers. I'm not alone in this. And praise God that he would use people like us to do something for his name. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.